Good morning, my beloved Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? Hey, welcome back to the early service, huh? After a couple weeks off with holidays and Dave Gambrell celebration, it is good to be back together. So love this service. Thank you for coming, uh, worshiping God early in the morning. If you have your Bible, if you turn with me to the very first page, we're going to start in Genesis 1 today. Uh, We'll be in Genesis 1 and 2 for a few verses, and then to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 19, as we begin a new series on marriage, God's love story. Uh, Good news if you're married, if you're not, if you've been married, if you haven't been married, if you'll never be married, uh, this series is about God's love for us and God's Word. So it's for each one of us, whatever state of life you find yourself in. Well, somebody in my neighborhood, goofed. Somebody in my neighborhood goofed, and they, they goofed pretty big. I got a phone call from the, the, uh, one of the representatives of the Homeowners Association, uh, left a message on my home phone. How many still have home phones, by the way? If you have them, do you check them very often? But I got one from the Homeowners Association. So what do you immediately think? Oh, no. Did we pay our dues? Is everything okay? We were out late on Christmas uh, Day uh, playing with the family cornhole out in the yard. Was I too loud again? And I called them and they said, hey, congratulations, your yard won yard of the month. And I said, really? My yard? And so, when, I'm not kidding you, when they dropped off the sign... Uh, the gentleman kind of kindly said to us, hey, I, I did notice some weeds in your yard. I'm not kidding. I'm like, did you notice any grass, you know? I mean, weeds in my yard. Oh, my goodness. Of course I have. But it's tough having this sign. I mean, this yard of the month puts pressure on me. Pressure. I put weed and feed on my lawn for the first time in a decade. I ordered from my favorite uh, garden store, Appenberries, uh, some mulch. I ordered some roses uh, to put out front. You know, I got to live up to that sign. And, and my kids said, hey, Dad, do you think it's reverse psychology? Do <laughs> you think they just want us out there so we can go do something about our yard? You see, the truth is, let me confess right now, I have weeds. I have bugs. I have issues with my yard. Preaching a marriage sermon is kind of like having a sign that says yard of the month. There's pressure. Because let me tell you the reality of my own marriage. I have weeds. I have bugs. I have junk. My marriage needs to be fertilized. My marriage needs to be uh, examined. And my marriage needs work just like yours. I have 27 years, by God's grace, of marriage to one woman. I've learned a lot about marriage. I've learned a lot through mostly failures, a few couple of successes along the way. But the reality of this is marriage isn't about me, and and you're not going to have to be subjected to four weeks of a marriage service of my marriage. Marriage is about God. Uh, Marriage is God's love story. It's about Him. Let me give you a couple other handles as we begin this series. This this marriage series is not going to be like the how-tos of marriage. If you're here and you're excited about the how-tos of marriage, that's not where I feel God is leading me. This marriage is more of the how-comes. 
How come we have marriage? We don't know the what to do's until we know the what it's for. And so we're going to look at marriage and the purpose of marriage, and, and that will lead us to what to do's. Just this week, in God's providence, and I've been planning on this sermon series for over a year. And just this week, Florida became the 36th state to legalize same-sex marriage. Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer married 44 gay couples at City Hall on Tuesday with 200 people in attendance. Orange County Clerk's Office gave out 164 licenses to same-sex couples on Tuesday morning alone. Marriage is certainly in the news. Marriage is certainly, I will tell you, under attack. The views of marriage are changing. And not just who should get married, but why should we get married? The statistics of young people are alarming. They don't want to. They've seen their parents' marriages. They've seen their parents' marriages fail. And the statistics tell us that young people are holding off saying, why marriage? Seems to be a big headache. But I think the question is, what is God's view of marriage? What does he have to say about it? And I got to tell you, he says a lot about it. He really does. Marriage is God's idea. It's his idea. Marriage is a, listen, marriage is a primary vehicle that God uses to describe his love for us. That includes single folks. That includes divorced folks. That includes widowed folks. The Bible begins with a wedding. And the Bible ends with a wedding feast. When God describes his love for us, he, he calls us his bride and, and that he is our bridegroom. I say this at a wedding, and, and I believe it to be true. To really know marriage, one must know God. And to know God, one must understand marriage. Now, this doesn't mean you can't know God and be single. But because God uses such vocabulary of marriage to describe our relationship with him, everybody, everybody who wants to know God has to understand marriage. It's God, not only does he describe this relationship with him through marriage, but he talks about this fidelity of the relationships, that we should be pure to him. And you read through scripture when he tells of his people who are sinning, he calls it adultery. So it, clearly this image is, is important to him. So important, he calls you, church, his bride. And he continually loves and provides for us as a good spouse would. He gives us his name. He gives us his identity. And this is as important to singles again and, and young people and old to understand what does it mean that God gave us his name and his identity in marriage. So it's for all of us. Well, let's begin this journey at the very beginning of the story. In, in Genesis 1, is God is telling us uh, how he created us. And he told us about that very first marriage in Genesis 2. And then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19, which will be some of Jesus' words specifically about marriage. Now, let me warn you, uh, you may have a Bible that has red letter edition. And you may think, well, those are the words that are really important because Jesus spoke those words. But every word in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, they're all God's word. It's all, if you will, a red letter edition. And so whether it's uh, spoken directly from Jesus or not, it all is because all of it is God-breathed. Let us hear God's word. 
picking up the, gen- the uh, creation account in Genesis 1, we'll read verses 26 through 28, skip to chapter 2, read verses 18 through 25, and then Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Hear God's word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and of the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Chapter 2, verse 18, we'll see a picture into the very first wedding that God himself officiates. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him or suitable for him. Not out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought him to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up in his place with flesh. And the the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man And then he said, the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave or hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Turn to Matthew 19. Verses 4 through 6. Jesus talking to the Pharisees and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together... Let no man separate. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, with the words ringing in our ears, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder or no man separate. Certainly, God, we think about the attack of marriage right now. And what you have joined together, what many are pulling apart or avoiding God, this is an institution that you created and that you have blessed. And so what is clear is that you who give us this institution is the one who should rule and reign over this institution. You are the one who is to govern it. 
And so as we begin this marriage series, let me invite you and implore you to do that which you and only you can do. Would you please govern this series? Would you please allow us to to hear from you and, and your truth regarding marriage and singleness? And God, would you give us the ears to hear the voice of the one who would say himself, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And God, give us minds to understand the words of the one who officiated the first wedding ceremony. But God, give us hearts to embrace your love story as the greatest love story and help us understand how we fit in that love story no matter what stage of life we find ourselves in. And God, would you empower our feet to walk in that love story and in a manner that's worthy of your name. The things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those very words to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. The first thing we're going to see is this, is that marriage is God's idea. This is something that he invented. Let me ask you this question, a question that every American should be able to answer. Who is Abner Doubleday? Who is Abner Doubleday? My guess is most of you people will say, I have no idea who this guy is with a goofy name, Abner Doubleday. Those of you who know, you can't wait for me to tell you. Abner Doubleday invented baseball. He's the one who who set the rules to the America's pastime into the greatest sport ever invented, in my opinion. Now, if he invented it, he has the right to tell us the rules. Some of you might think that baseball's stupid. Some of you may not think that it's a very wise or smart game. Some of you may think, you know, It's all so superfluous. Why is there first base, second base, third base, and home plate? Why don't we just do away with first base and third base? Run to second and back home. And why have nine people on the field? My goodness, that's so restricting. Let them have 18. And who decided that they should have three strikes before they're out? Golly, show more grace. Give them six. Now, whatever you do to tweak the rules of baseball, you could play whatever you could want to play but you can't call it baseball. To play baseball, you got to follow the inventor's rules. If God is the one who invented marriage, we should know and follow his rules to understand it. Why? Because marriage is God's idea. He did invent it. From baseball to Shakespeare. Shakespeare would say this, God, the best maker of marriages, Combine your hearts in one, he would say in Henry V. And again, why is God the best maker of marriages? Because he's the creator of it. God is the one who determines who marriage is to unite. God is the one who has determined how marriage works. Because God is the one who officiated the first wedding ceremony. It's his idea. And when he decides that who should be united in marriage, it's, it's him. He, he governs the rules. He, he sets the guidelines. He makes sure he governs this incredible counselor. Tim Keller would say it this way in his great book. I highly recommend it. 
the meaning of marriage. What God institutes, he also regulates. That includes singleness. God determines how singles are to live too. Not just married folks. Singles determines how widows or widows should live as well. But Keller again would rightly say, there is no relationship between human beings that is greater or more important than marriage. It's so true. Because it reflects him. Let me hit pause and say something that might surprise you. What the state does with our marriage, although it's alarming and surprising, doesn't make me lose sleep. It's the state. It's the state. And I've been told in this country there should be a separation of church and state. So what the, church, what the state does, I'll vote my conscience and I will have my views. And I'm not here to talk about what they do. I'm here to talk about what God has instituted. That's who I represent. And the church, this is who we are. We have to know what God is for more than we have to know what we're against. Most people do not have a sound argument about same-sex marriage because they don't have a biblical argument against it. So I want you to know as we begin, I'm going to be standing not to defend anything the state does or throw rocks, but to say to you, the church, you need to know what the church should know about marriage because it's God's. Marriage is God's idea, first thing. Second thing is this. Marriage is to reveal God's character. Did you hear how scandalously good Genesis 1 was describing you? Did you hear what God thinks of you? God has made you male and female in his image. You are of great worth every single one of you, because you reflect more than anything of all of creation, the God who is. He has created you in his image to know and love him and have a relationship with him. This is wonderful news. And marriage is to reflect his character as he has made us both male and female. But the only way for his image to maintain his image with the two becoming one flesh is for a male and a female to be united. It's the only way for God's character to still be maintained in marriage. But again, how wonderful that God made male and female in his image. You know that passage. You've heard that passage. For you've been around the Bible. You're familiar with that passage. Well, let me give you a little bit more background and insight into how scandalously good it is that God says you were made in his image. When Moses was writing this, and Moses was telling this glorious truth to us, the worldview at the time, the predominant worldview is only those made in God's image or what they call the sons of God, the pharaohs, the rulers. They and they alone were made in God's image. And God gave to them and them alone God's plans, the plans of the gods. Why did they build the pyramids? Because the gods told them to. Who did the God tell to build the pyramids? To the sons of God, they thought. The pharaohs, the image bearer. And all of a sudden, God's word says, don't be silly. It's not just them 
who are God's image? You are. I am. Not just the males, the females. And it's not just somebody else who does the will of God. You do it. I do it. We do it together. That's what we have been created for. We all have that full image of God. But it's interesting, the image of God in all of its fullness was not revealed until God made female. I love this. Do you know in paradise there was something that wasn't good? It says God declares it. As man was walking with God in the cool of the evening, as man had an unbroken relationship with God because of sin, as man was reigning and ruling over all of creation, there was one thing that God said was not good. Even in paradise, the man was be alone. Why? I mean, he reigned and ruled over God's creation. He had God. What wasn't good about that? Was it good because wasn't good because Man was lonely? I don't think that was ultimately it. You see, what wasn't good was this, is that man didn't have one that was suitable, one that was fit for him. Not even God alone. So he made woman. So he created female. There's something beautiful right before he creates a woman. He lets Adam name all the animals. Why do you think that happened? You think God ran out of names to call the animals? God does something really cool and wonderfully marvelous when he brings all the animals to to, uh, Adam. He's doing two main things. One, he is showing that Adam has dominion over all of creation. He, He has dominion. God has given him a reign and rule. And how do we know he has dominion? He names them. Just like you name your children, it shows a reign and rule over them. But he was doing something else. He was showing to Adam that there was not one who was suitable, that was fit to do what God has called him to do. And he truly was alone. And through that marvelous realization, he says, oh my goodness, I don't have a real companion. God created woman. Side note, I got to say it. In my Jeffs, this is completely extra biblical. This throw this right away. But I always picture this is that when the dog came to be named, it was a golden retriever. They hung out together for a really long time, and he kept on saying, "Is this it? Is this it? Is this my helpmate? Is this my helpmate?" And as great as dogs are, they're not. Even this morning, Knox was up in my study with me. Greatest dog ever made. Love Knox, my little golden retriever. He's up with me in my study early getting ready. I'm saying, Noxie, you going to pray for me this morning, Noxie? Noxie, I'm going to go preach in a little bit, Noxie. You know, Noxie, I'm a preacher. Noxie never even came once to my service, Knox. What's the matter with you, Knox? Not even once have you been here. I love Knox, but God has given me such a better helpmate, such a better one fit for me and Katie. You see, God's character is being revealed in his creation of male and female. Both of them are image bearers, every single one of you. We don't have the full, complete story of God until you have male and female on the earth. Why? Because he wants to show unity and diversity. God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in this triune God, making up one God. And to reflect his character, to reflect who he is, he made woman out of our own substance to become one. To reflect his story. 
any sexual relationship out of this, God doesn't bless. God made woman to be fit for man. It was in Genesis 2.18 and 2.20, or, or suitable. Why? Listen to this. This is so cool. To execute God's will for the earth. To be fruitful and multiply. To fill the earth with his glory. To tell his love story. Here's the bottom line. For us to do what God has called us to do, we need marriage. We cannot be fruitful biologically. We cannot be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with his glory apart from marriage. Some of you may say, well, wait a minute. I'm single, so I can't accomplish God's will. Absolutely not. You are to bring God's glory wherever you go. You could do that in some ways easier than married folks, Scripture will tell us. But I'm telling you, for marriage, it cannot happen without God's blessing on it. He says this, he says, he made male and female and he blessed them. I mean, he's so emphatic, he blessed them. People have often asked me, what's your view on different types of marriage? Well, let me be more specific. Why not just live together? Well, God has had a parameter that he specifically blesses. You can't put yourself in a relationship outside of God's blessing and expect it to be blessed. Kind of makes sense, right? I can't tell you how many people I've sat with and I've looked in the eye and said, God's not going to change. You leaving your wife for another woman will never be blessed, ever. He can't bless what you're doing. You moving in with your, your significant other and not being married is not going to find God's blessing ever. And I'm not judging you and I'm not saying you're a bad person and I'm sure there's reasons why you're doing it. But because I love you, let me tell you, get yourself in the place of God's blessing. And that is a marriage between a man and a woman who stand before God and in the community and say, we commit ourselves to one another in the name of Jesus. You see, marriage isn't just for Christians, but it's only Christians who understand the good news of the gospel that, that can live a marriage in a way that reflects the true story. That we can be selfless to one another. We can lay our lives down for our other, for the other. Because that's so Christ-like. You see, marriage, lastly, is to tell God's love story. We all have been created in God's image to experience God's love. And to be God's storytellers. To talk of His love. To, to multiply. To, to fill the earth with His glory. Every single one of us. Marriage is so much bigger. Listen to this. Marriage is so much bigger than our little love stories. It's a part of God's grand and glorious love story. If you were to look at my prayer journal, one of the things you'll see written down early on for prayers that I have for my wife and me is that God, that our marriage love story will tell your love story. That our union will be more about you than it is about us. Our marriages need to be tethered, listen, to something so much greater and bigger than ourselves and our little hearts. It needs to be tethered to the rock of ages named Jesus. That's what I love doing with marriage counseling, sitting with two goo-goo-gaga looking uh, couple that just can't wait to get married. And you almost want to say, yeah, you have no idea. 
And I always say this, I say, I, I want to start positive, I'm a positive guy, and usually when you announce you get married, everybody tells you the negative. And I, I always start off with this, I say, I want you to know, marriage is greater and better than I ever dreamed, and I'm a dreamer. But it's harder than I ever imagined. And if you think your marriage is going to last because of your love story, you're nuts. If you think you're going to get through the trials and struggles of, your, of life because of your love for one another alone, you're crazy. Because a tsunami is going to come and it's going to wipe you both away. And the only hope that you have for this marriage is to be tethered to the one who doesn't change, to the rock of ages named Jesus. And that's the only way this marriage will stand. You see, our marriages tell such a bigger story. And it's this story that only a male and a female can be fruitful and multiply. To do that which God always intended for us to do. To fill the whole earth with his story, with his goodness, with his presence. It's how he intended it. And truly the gospel marriage that is the only true marriage story for the world. You know most people get married for themselves. It's not a bad, completely bad thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. Most people get married for themselves, hoping to find fulfillment for themselves. Most people get married, why? Because it will hopefully make them happy. Somebody please talk to them. What they're hoping is, is in one of my favorite Jackson Brown songs, hoping that we will fill in the missing colors in each other's paint-by-number dreams. That somehow being married to you is going to make my life more colorful. See, gospel marriage is one to reflect who Christ is and his love for us. It, it denies oneself for the benefit of another. Marriage is so important that it tells his story. He says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. During a marriage ceremony, I have a declaration of intent. And in that moment, I love it. It's one of my favorite moments because you got the, the bride and you got the groom and you got the father of the bride sitting right there. And something really significant is happening because there's a change of headship from the father to the, to the groom. And I love the fact that I could talk to the bride and groom with the father still present. And before we do anything, we have this declaration of intent where I'm going to ask the groom, hey, are you going to do this? Are you going to honor your, your wife? Are you going to love your wife? Are you going to love her as Christ loved the church? And, and I say the same with the wife. And, and when the groom goes, I turn to the dad every time and say, did you hear that? Because you need to hear that before you give this woman away. But I change the words. I change the words. I change them. Because I was standing up and I was asking the groom, will you love this woman as Christ loved the church? I'm thinking, how can I ask him that? I mean, all I'm asking him to do is lie. So I changed the words. I put the word of strive. Will you strive to love this woman as Christ loved the church? When it came to the woman's section, and it says, will you submit to this man as unto the Lord? I changed the words. I didn't want to make her a liar. I said, will you strive to? You see, the bottom line is this. Jesus tells us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Why? Because it's telling his love story. Because they wanted, Jesus wants him to be seen in your marriage. 
And when he tells the women some difficult things, like, you know what, there should be a, an economy of this, and will you submit to him as unto the Lord? What in the world is he doing? He's trying to reflect who he is. So he submitted to the Father. It's beautiful. You see, if it's our love story, we don't get it. If it's his love story, it makes more sense, right? If it's, it's really about him, then we understand why, if he calls us his bride, tell his love story. Again, singles, you too are to tell Christ's love story in your life. No more or no less than married folks. In some ways, it's easier for you. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, that he wishes many were like him and and didn't have to worry about a wife. He could focus on Jesus. I got to tell you the truth. I can't wait for this month to end. I hate having that sign in my yard. Every time I go by it, I think, oh, crud, my daggum weeds. I'm awfully glad that my marriage doesn't have a sign on it. The marriage of the month. You know the reality, Christian? You do. I do. There should be a sign that says, this is God's love story. Come and see. This is God's love story. Come and smell the aroma of Christ. This is God's love story. Each and every one of us in Christ Jesus is his sign. Single, married, widowed, divorced. I guess the ultimate question for all of us is, are you a part of God's love story? Being the father of of two daughters and two sons, but having my daughter be the first down the aisle, I realize in our culture, it is the bride's family that's responsible for the lion's share, at least financially, of a wedding. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's not true in the Bible. It's the bridegroom. He pays all the expenses. He he pays it all. I mean, uh, to have us to wear a beautiful dress, he would shed his blood to buy us and to buy the wedding that he would dream to have with you and me, he would give his life. I mean, for us to be a part of this love story is an eternal love and grace of God that would send his son to rescue you and me so that we could have our little lives tethered to something so much more grand and so much more big and glorious into his love and life and love story in Christ Jesus. That's the most important question. Are you part of the story? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you, in your infinite wisdom, gave us an institution called marriage. For many of us, you'll call us to that institution. For many, you won't. But you are good for either call. And God, for each one of us, whether married or single or widowed or widower or divorced, God, You want to tell your love story through us. And so, God, I pray that you would govern our marriages because you instituted them. And that, God, your character would be revealed in our marriages because they're about you. And in our marriages, in our singleness, in our brokenness, that your story would be told. That somehow the world would go by and see, hmm, There seems to be a sign there. 
There seems to be a sign about a marriage that's bigger than theirs. That God's love story being told here. May that be the reality in each one of our lives. But God, we ask your blessing on our tithes and offerings. We ask you'd use it to further your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name, amen.